To the board members, I appreciate that uh, confidence shown, and I look forward to serving uh, again. Tonight on the KRBD Evening Report, Ketchikan's school board welcomed new members and elected officers Wednesday night. A group of Ketchikan middle schoolers explore languages through song, and about half of the races for seats in the Alaska legislature are intra-party, most of those between Republicans. Those stories and more coming up. First, a look at the local weather. Strong winds and heavy rain are expected for portions of southeast Alaska this weekend. Scattered rain showers tonight, lows in the mid-30s, southeast winds to 15 miles per hour. Rain heavy at times Saturday with highs around 50 degrees, southeast winds to 25 miles per hour. Rain Saturday night, lows around 40 degrees, south winds to 25 miles per hour. Rain Sunday with rain showers Sunday night, highs in the mid-40s, lows around 40 degrees, south winds to 20 miles per hour. You're listening to the KRBD Evening Report. I'm your host, Maria Dudzak. Ketchikan's school board re-elected Stephen Bradford for a second consecutive year as board president on Wednesday. It was the first meeting of a newly reshuffled board following the October 4th municipal election. KRBD's Eric Stone reports. Bradford was the only candidate nominated for board president and was elected by voice vote. He thanked the board for its support. To the board members, I appreciate that uh, confidence shown, and I look forward to serving uh, again. The board's vice president, Keenan Sanderson, was also re-elected for a second year. Being on the executive committee was, um, uh, I think, did a, we, I did a really good job on that, and I think I can um, continue to do that for our community going forward, um, and I would appreciate doing that again, so thank you. Sanderson won a secret ballot vote of the board members, besting fellow VP nominee Paul Robbins Jr. Robbins said he was happy to serve the board in any capacity. Board member Nicole Anderson was the only candidate nominated for the third leadership post on the school board. She'll serve as clerk treasurer. Wednesday's meeting was the first for two new board members who won seats in the October election. Melissa O'Brien said she was ready to get to work in her first term on the board. Thank you. I look forward to working with everybody. This is very exciting. And Tom Hewitt marked his return to the school board. He's been appointed to partial terms twice before, but won his first election earlier this month. Now I feel like I'm in, I'm in, on the, I'm in the varsity team this year. <laughs> they replace outgoing board members Jordan Tab and Bridget Matson. Tab offered a couple of parting words. Later, skaters. <laughs> in other business, the board unanimously approved a contract with the new special education director, Daniel Klingler. He's a longtime special ed specialist who most recently worked for Baltimore Public Schools. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Eric Stone. And a quick disclosure, Tom Hewitt is a member of KRBD's nonprofit board of directors, which is not involved in the newsroom. A small group of middle school students in Ketchikan have spent more than a month learning songs and languages from all around the world. It's not for a grade, just the experience. KRBD's Reagan Miller stopped by the classroom on the last day of the class. Sarah Orzoko's classroom at Schoenbar Middle School has been pretty loud the past five weeks. A small group of students have elected to spend their lunch hour on Tuesdays and Thursdays learning songs in different languages. Pumping music in smatterings of German, Finnish, Korean, and Polish leak out into the hallway. It's the last day of Orzoko's five-week elective and the students are ready to show off. One Schoenbar seventh grader, Sarah Reynolds, now knows a whole song from the movie Frozen 2 in Finnish. Finnish is my... Uh, language from my family, so this one was close to my heart. (laughs) 
In English, the song is called All is Found and was written by Evan Rachel Wood. Reynolds sings the song for her classmates. She says her connection to Finnish culture inspired her song choice. I thought it was kind of a shorter, easier lullaby song to start with, and Finnish is my ancestors' language, and I thought it would be cool to do it in that language since I'm trying to learn it right now. A few other students show off their skills after Reynolds. That includes Britta Brinkerhoff. Brinkerhoff's song is in German by the alternative pop band Julie. The seventh grader knows all the words to the song, which runs more than three minutes. Um, it was just a really catchy song. I really liked it. At the end of the period, Orzoko reminds the students that their learning doesn't stop with the elective class. Even if you just had one line that you got down in these last five weeks, which is nothing, think of it as a starting point. She tells her class that even picking up bits and pieces of the songs is a huge accomplishment. Even if you're like mouthing along, even if we, that muscle memory is really good for you. So always be doing that. The students wrap up their lunch period with a little bit of dancing and laughing before heading out to their next class. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Reagan Miller. In this year's general election, about half of the races for seats in the Alaska legislature feature intra-party contests. Most of those are between Republicans. That's a result of the state's new open primary elections, where the top four candidates advance to the general election, regardless of their parties. Alaska Public Media's Jeremy Shea reports that, in the new system, the fervent partisanship that drove out less hardline Republican incumbents in 2020 is likely now more of a liability. Former Republican Senate President Kathy Giesel got trounced in her 2020 primary election for making too many compromises, most notably by reducing permanent fund dividends to get a budget passed. Now she's a frontrunner in a rematch with the Republican incumbent Roger Holland for a seat representing parts of South Anchorage, Girdwood, and Whittier. Working across the aisle hurt her in 2020, but for her comeback campaign in the three-way race, it's likely helping. The three candidates split the vote almost evenly in the primary, so she'll probably need someone's second-place votes to win. She's courting supporters of Democratic opponent Rosalind Casey. I appreciated it, but um, I just was surprised when uh, I saw Kathy's involvement. That's Casey. She's talking about letters that many of her supporters got that Giesel's campaign sent. The letter was from a former Anchorage Assembly member, urging first-pick votes for Casey and second-pick votes for Giesel. That's a new form of campaigning, one that makes sense with ranked choice voting. 
All three candidates are campaign veterans and think they've been politically consistent. So the race is a good case study for showing the moderating effect Alaska's new election system can have. Every district and race is unique, but political consultant Jim Lotzfeld says in general, the candidates who better align with the political center will appeal to more voters than candidates in lockstep with either partisan base. Lotzfeld explains why. So if you sort of look at a spectrum where it's red on one side and blue on the other. Then the incumbent Roger Holland would be furthest in the red. Giesel would also be in the red, but closer to the center. And Casey would be in the blue. It's easier for Giesel to draw votes from both sides of the spectrum than her opponents. And so really ranked choice in most instances sort of forces people to appeal to more voters, not just one wing left or right. That, plus Giesel's robust campaign in Senate District E, means... It's really turned into more of a route for Kathy Giesel than anything else. Giesel said Tuesday she's knocked on more than 8,600 doors in the district. She says voters don't want hardliners. They are looking for people to vote for who are willing to work with everyone and not just uh, a particular party. You know, are you willing to work with everyone or are you locked in to a particular political party's uh, policy or leadership or requirements? Holland says he's not a fan of ranked choice voting. And many of the people whose doors he knocked on wonder, how the hell did we wind up with it? (laughs) He was part of a wave of newcomers who primaried incumbent Republicans in 2020. But in this year's open primary, Holland finished in third. If he loses the general election, he's in a position to tip the scales for another candidate through ranked choice voting. I'm a big believer in rank the red, and I do believe my race only has one red candidate in it, and that's me. My other uh, Republican candidate supports an independent for the governor, and the independent governor she's supporting has endorsed a Democrat for his second vote. I mean, it's like, I, I don't know how... Lotzfeld says the public has embraced ranked choice voting in most areas of the state. Holland's not doing himself any favors by taking that position. It, it gives him no advantage. If Lotzfeld has it right, then Roger Holland may be one of several hardliners to lose their election this year. There isn't really a term for center-leaning candidates beating more partisan incumbents, but suggestions from Twitter include generaling an incumbent, winning from the center or getting ranked. In Anchorage, I'm Jeremy Shea. A special dugout canoe was dedicated in Angoon this week. It's the first one built in Angoon since the late 1800s, when U.S. military forces attacked and destroyed the village. Students who helped carve the canoe say the project helped them see their own resilience. KTOO's Yvonne Crumry has this story. Master carver Wayne Price and several teenagers are pushing a long wooden canoe on a wheeled platform. It's bright red and it stands out against the gray, rainy morning. Some of the teens are wearing Crocs and others are wearing regalia, blue robes with form-lined fish beaded onto them. Little kids in bright purple and yellow coats are lifted into the canoe and pushed along like they're in a parade float. The view on this day 140 years ago was very different. Everything along this waterfront was in flames in 1882 when the U.S. Navy bombed the village, burning their clan houses and food stores, destroying their fleet of canoes, 
vital for fishing and hunting for food. The Daishitan and Kutsnuwu Kwan people were left for the winter with only one boat and no shelter. No one knows for sure how many died that winter. Many of the families in Angoon today are the survivors. The U.S. Navy has never apologized. I am very, very proud of both uh, my, my teammates that helped me with the steaming process and as a community. Just proud to finally have this new beginning. Shagane Kyle Johnson is a high school student in Angoon. He helped carve the new canoe, or yak, for the community. He and five other students fasted for a day when they put the boat to the test, adding hot rocks to it and letting the steam expand the wood into shape. It's called steaming the yak open, and it can often make or break the work. It's a lot easier to learn about our culture and our traditional ways when it's hands-on, like carving a paddle, for instance. His mom, Kukishtla Chenera Johnson, teaches Hlingit in the schools and helped with the canoe project. She says this history shows the resilience of the Kutsnuwu Kwan. We're still here, and our community is thriving, and our students and our, our children are eager to learn and eager to carry on that part of our culture. For Kyle, this project has made him hungry to learn more about his culture. I hope that we start leaning more towards our traditional ways of uh, hunting and gathering and living off the land. In the spring, the yak will be given a name and launched into the water for the first time, with Kyle and several of his classmates aboard. In Angoon, I'm Yvonne Crumry. That's all for tonight's edition of the KRBD Evening Report. Thanks for listening. I've been your host, Maria Dudzak.